Today we read from 1 Samuel, chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Then Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have listened to your voice in all that you said to me, and I have appointed a king over you. Now here is the king walking before you, but I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. And I have walked before you from my youth even to this day. Here I am. Bear witness against me before the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? I will restore it to you. They said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us, or taken anything from any man's hand. He said to them, The Lord is witnessed against you, and his anointed is witness this day that I have found nothing in my hand. And they said, He is witness. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron, and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. So now take your stand, that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did for you and your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt, and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt, and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. So he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the army of Hazor, into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. But now deliver us from the hands of our enemies, and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jerubal and Bidan and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you from the hands of your enemies. All around, so that you lived in security. Good morning. I'm intrigued by all the protests going on all over the world, from Occupy Wall Street to Occupy Seattle, Portland, Boise, LA, to protests in Spain and France. England, and all over the Arab world and beyond. And as I look at these, it seems to me that one of the driving forces behind this is a crisis in leadership. People don't trust their leaders. They're frustrated. They feel powerless. They want some sense of control. It's a crisis in leadership, just like in 1 Samuel, actually, as we've seen in these last few chapters. As the people are afraid, they see that Samuel's getting old. His sons are not good guys. They're afraid of what's going to happen. So they protest, and their protest takes the form of demanding a king. We want a king. They think a king will make their lives better. We'll give them more control. We'll make them safer. And though Samuel, as we've seen, very clearly challenges them, 
that having a king will not be better, yet they continue to demand a king. We have an election coming up next year. We get to choose our national leaders. We have leaders that we have to respond to, either in government or in our homes, in our jobs, neighborhoods, situations. And we have places where we ourselves have to take leadership. Every one of us in some way, even if we're just with friends and we need to exercise leadership there or in our homes or at our jobs, in relationships somehow where we need to exercise leadership. It's important, therefore, because we have to choose leaders or evaluate leaders, respond to leaders or be leaders, that we understand the biblical perspective, God's perspective of leadership. What does a godly leader look like? Well, our chapter today, 1 Samuel chapter 12, Samuel gives a sort of farewell speech. He's really making a covenant with Israel. He's challenging them that since you now have a king and I'm stepping out of leadership and you're going to have a king to follow, he's making a covenant with them, challenging them that you still need to trust God. No matter who your human leader may be, all of life really comes down to this. You still need to trust God. And as we look through how he challenges them, we are going to be looking at the qualities of a godly leader, what Samuel models for us in terms of leadership so that we can learn more what it means for us in our world, whatever that might be, to be the leaders that God calls us to be. Samuel's a good example. Not perfect, but he's a good example, somebody we can learn from. Pray with me. And we'll look at this together. Lord, we need you ultimately to lead us. We thank you that you've given us opportunity to influence others. But as we look at Samuel's life, may we learn more about what you've called us to be as leaders. That we might reflect you to those around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to look first at the character of a godly leader because character is foundational. In these verses, verses 1 through 5, we get a glimpse of Samuel's character and, and we see what an example he is. What's most important about a leader is their character. Are they a person of integrity? Are they a person that you can trust their word? Trust that they live on the outside the same on the inside. That's who they are. They are a person of integrity. Too often in our world today, we downplay integrity, character, and we emphasize efficiency, productivity. If someone can make the economy better, we don't care about their character because they've helped us. That's the reflection of our world, but that's not a biblical leader. What's most important about a godly leader is their character. So Samuel calls the people together at a place called Gilgal. Gilgal is a place where when Joshua led the people across the Jordan River into the Promised Land, they renewed the covenant at Gilgal. Now 400 years later, 
after a lot of ups and downs and difficulties and failures and God's deliverances, they meet at Gilgal again. And Samuel calls them together to renew the covenant. Yes, things are changing. You're getting a king now. But in some ways, nothing's changed. You still need to trust the Lord and follow Him. So he calls them together. And I love the description of his life here as he says, Behold, I have listened to you, to your voice, in all you've said to me. And he says, I have walked before you from my youth until now. I'm old. He's walked in their presence. And the word there means to walk about, to spend time with, to not just pass by, but to hang out with, essentially. He also says, here I am. Here's my life. You've seen me. I've walked in your presence. I've walked before you all my days. Now look at me. <laughs> look at me. In First Samuel chapter 7, we see what it meant for him to walk around and spend time with them. Verse 15, chapter 7. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He used to go annually on a circuit to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah. And he judged Israel in all these places. Then he, re- he returned was to Ramah, for his house was there. And there he judged Israel. And he built an altar to the Lord. We see that in all these places, he traveled around this 80-mile circuit in the center of Israel to all the ma- these major towns. And he walked and he judged them, it says. That simply means that he was a leader to them. He spent time with them and heard their concerns. He listened to all their concerns, he says. And then he gave them God's perspective, God's word. He taught them. He encouraged them. He discipled them. Spent time with them. What a wonderful picture of leadership. You see, Samuel was not at all like the other leaders. Like Eli. Remember Eli the priest who was the leader of Israel before Samuel? All he did is sit in Shiloh, where the tabernacle was, and get fat and abused his place, the priesthood, and his own son stole from the people, and he ate what his sons brought. Saul was anointed king, but before he was anointed, where was he? Hiding among the baggage. (laughs) You get a very different picture of Samuel. Samuel's among the people, letting them see his life. You see, it's a beautiful picture, I think, of godly leadership. Samuel was known So when he asked them, he said, Hey, have I taken anything from anyone? I've ever stolen an ox or sheep or done anything that I can be blamed for. All the people in unison could say, No, you haven't. Because we know your life. We know your life. What do these verses demonstrate about the character of a godly leader? Well, some things jump out at me. I want to highlight some. One is that a godly leader listens. Godly leader listens. He doesn't just have his own agenda. Some leaders, you know, it's, hey, I got a plan, I got a vision, and you better get on board and let's go for it. But uh, no, he was willing to meet people where they were, hear about their life, spend time with them, and then encourage them from that point to trust the Lord more. So a godly leader listens. Secondly, a godly leader is vulnerable, willing to let those he or she leads into his or her 
life like Samuel did. My life's an open book. You can see what my life is like. You can see my struggles. See, a godly leader lets people see his or her struggles, what their lifestyle is like. It's really hard for us to trust a leader that we don't know and don't know what their life is like. And Samuel let them see his life. A godly leader is vulnerable. Third, a godly leader is accountable. Accountable to those he or she leads. Notice what Samuel does. He asks them to evaluate his life. Here I am. What have I done wrong? Let me know and I will make it right. Whatever it is, I I want to make it right. So, please, tell me. It's such a great perspective. It comes out of an understanding that we, we don't see our own faults very well, do we? None of us do. We need other people to speak into our lives. And a godly leader needs that as well. Because we know we're not perfect. So we make ourselves accountable to others, let them have input into our lives. I know for me, those who have challenged me about my sinful patterns, my selfishness, the ways I've hurt them and have been willing to speak into my life have been instrumental in helping me grow. I need that. Every person needs that. Every leader needs that. The first pastor I heard really preach the Word inspired me to want to learn to teach the Word like he did. Great teacher. He was in a small church when I knew him and then he went to a much, much bigger church because he was such an excellent teacher. I visited him at that church and I said, how's it going? He said, oh, I love it. It's great. So much different than my little church where I was expected to shepherd everybody. No, they, they let me just study and teach and I don't even have to talk to the people. Well, I walked out of there fairly troubled. I thought, well, yeah, that would be nice, but that's how, how do people know you? How are you accountable to them? And, and how can you really teach if you don't know your people? Well, I heard tragically, not long after that, that he'd had an affair with a secretary, destroyed his marriage, destroyed his ministry, because he wasn't accountable. Fourth, a godly leader keeps short accounts. Samuel says, if I've done anything wrong, let me know and I will restore it to you. I'll make it right. See, a godly leader keeps short accounts and if there's conflict, we hurt each other. We all do. We do harm at times even leaders, because we're growing too, then a godly leader will quickly seek reconciliation and restitution if necessary. Want to make it right. A godly leader keeps short accounts. Fifth, a godly leader is a servant to those she leads or he leads. A servant, servant leader. So important that we see ourselves that way in whatever position of leadership we might be in. Samuel didn't take advantage of his position to get ahead. He didn't take advantage of it at all. He 
didn't do like Eli did and his sons, where they used their position to take for themselves. Instead, he was careful not to be greedy, not to be selfish, not to demand for himself. He was a servant leader. Remember back in chapter 8, as he was saying what would happen when they asked for a king, he said in verse 11, This will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons. Verse 13, he will take your daughters. Verse 14, he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, etc. This is normal, worldly leadership. I lead and take what I can for myself. But Samuel is not that way. Too many leaders today, even in the church, church leaders, you see them living for what they can get out of it for themselves. Maybe not money, but status, approval, etc. And we all struggle with something. We, are, are, we all are selfish. God's had to convict me of how too often in my life of ministry I've wanted approval from people and I've used my position to try to get that. And God's had to lead me to repentance of that. Over and over. Because a godly leader doesn't do that. Does not use their position to get. But a godly leader is a servant of those he or she leads. And then finally, a godly leader is faithful over time. Godly leader is faithful over time. Samuel says, I've walked before you from the time I was a youth until now in my gray-haired old age I've hung in there with you. I've continued to follow the Lord with you over time. The men that have impressed me most, most that I look up to over and over again when you ask them later in life, what is your prayer request? What can I pray for for you? They'll say, just pray that I can finish well. I want to hang in there. I want to be faithful to the end. That's a godly leader. A godly leader is faithful over time. If you see a leader that can never pin down, they're always moving, they're always changing, you can never really get to know them, that has to make you wonder if they're a godly leader of character. So, all this makes me think about my life and is a challenge, I guess, to each of us here to consider Could we be like Samuel and stand before the people who know us best and say, please look at my life. Here I am. Evaluate my life. Evaluate my life. Have I done anything wrong? If so, I want to make it right. So that's the character of a godly leader. Now I want to highlight five tasks I see in the rest of the passage. Five tasks of a godly leader that they will live out in the way that they lead, no matter what their leadership may be, their position, their place. First, in 6 through 11, the task of a godly leader is reminding. Reminding, that's an important task of a godly leader. In this passage, 6 through 11, that David read, it describes the history of Israel from Moses on, and it says, hey, you were slaves, you cried out to the Lord. And God sent Moses and Aaron to lead you out, to bless you. And then you cried out again because you messed up, you sinned, you rejected the Lord. And when you cried out, what happened? 
God sent someone else to deliver you. And you cried out again after you'd sinned and God delivered you again. Samuel is reminding them of this history so they'll remember who they are, people who struggle to trust God, and who God is. God that is faithful and loving and continues to deliver no matter no matter how bad we blow it. If we were willing to turn to Him and cry out to Him. You see, an important task of a leader is to remind people of their history and to begin to help them reinterpret their history even. I have people come to me and they say, yeah, this happened in my life, this happened in my life, this happened in my life. And it's a privilege to be able to say, yeah, look what God did in all that. Look how God was with you in all that. And help them understand, remind them of God's hand on their lives from birth on. That's an important task of a leader. It's a privilege for us to be able to do that, to remind people that their past is not just their past, but it's God's past. It's His story. It's history. His story. It's God's story that they are part of. Even when they weren't walking with Him, He was involved. He was in it. Look how God has worked in your life. That is a task of a godly leader. Secondly, what we see in Samuel here is the task of exhorting. Verse 12 through 15, let me read these verses and listen to how he exhorts them. When you saw that Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, although the Lord your God was your king. Now therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen, whom you asked for, and behold, the Lord has set a king over you like you asked. Now listen to his exhortation here, verse 14 and 15. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and listen to his voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. If you will not listen to the voice of the Lord but rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you even as it was against your father's. Samuel knows that they'll be tempted to forget God, that here's a king, I can trust in him, I don't have to trust in God anymore. That's the tendency of all of us. We want a human to trust in. And he knows that they'll be tempted to trust in this king for security. So he exhorts them to not do that. He's essentially renewing the covenant, the Mosaic covenant. Here's what you're to do, to fear the Lord, to serve the Lord and to listen to the Lord. Those three things. So Samuel, as a godly leader, keeps pointing them to the Lord. Don't trust in man. He points them to the Lord. And the first thing he says is he says, fear the Lord. I think this is worth exploring a little bit because we don't understand often what fearing the Lord means. Does it mean to be terrified of the Lord? Well, it certainly has an aspect of deep reverence for the Lord, but... What does it mean? It's a deep respect. I'll give you a couple pictures of that. Electricity. A lot of you have worked with electricity. I've dabbled in electricity. I've at times made mistakes dabbling in electricity. I've had some pretty good shocks. It's caused me to have a deep respect for electricity. 
I've learned to be really careful about making sure the right breaker is off before I try to install some electrical light or switch or something. It's a healthy respect. It, it's not that you're terrified of electricity, but you respect it and you treat it according to its power like we are to treat God according to his power. Another picture, another illustration. Imagine two bosses. One boss who is mean, controlling, demanding. You may have had that kind of boss. Who has the power to fire you. Is always looking over your shoulder and is critical. You would live in fear of that kind of boss, wouldn't you? Because of the power he has over you and the anger and the control. But imagine a second kind of boss who has power over you. He can fire you, but he's a boss that you know is a really, really great boss. You know he's there to see you succeed. He's a servant kind of boss, servant leader. He's out for your good. And yes, he has power over you, but your relationship to him wouldn't be one of terror. It would be one of delight, of wanting to do your best for him. That's the kind of relationship that God wants with us. That's When Samuel says, fear the Lord, that's what he means, to be so delighted in God's love for you and his care for you and all that he does for you. Yes, he's powerful, and yes, he could send you to hell, but you're not afraid of that. What you want to do is please him, to delight in him, to delight in his word. Psalm 112, verse 1, has a beautiful parallel there where it says fear the Lord and it's in parallel with delight in his word that's a great picture of what fearing the Lord is it's delighting in him because what an awesome wonderful loving kind yes powerful God he is that's what Samuel calls the people to to fear the Lord to serve the Lord to listen to the Lord And it's the same for us. A godly leader is to exhort. He's not afraid to point out where someone's blown it. He doesn't live for what he can get out of it, but rather he's there and willing to say hard things to people to exhort them to follow the Lord, to fear the Lord, to seek the Lord. Thirdly, what strikes me in this passage is the task of godly leadership is extending grace. Samuel goes on. He calls down a huge storm. It's the middle of the wheat harvest. And he says, I just want to give you a picture to encourage you, a a picture of God's power. And he calls down a storm and it's massive and the people are overwhelmed by the awesomeness of God in this great storm. And the people's response is this, starting in verse 19. Then all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil by asking for ourselves a king. The people's response when they get a vision of who God is and how great he is is to be overwhelmed with their own failure, their own sinfulness. And I think as we as godly leaders help people see who God is, that is a proper response, that they'll be overwhelmed by how undeserving they, can, they are of God's love. But notice how Samuel extends grace to them. Verse 20. 
Samuel said to the people, Do not fear. You have committed all this evil. I love that. He doesn't pretend like they haven't blown it. (laughs) Yeah, you guys have committed a lot of bad stuff. But do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. You must not turn aside, but for then you would go after futile things that can't profit or deliver because they are futile. Listen to verse 22. For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Do you hear the grace in that? The people are saying, we have really blown it. You better pray for us, Samuel. We're a mess. And Samuel just tells him, Don't turn away from the Lord. I know your guilt and your shame. When we blow it, we feel like we feel undeserving and that we can't turn to the Lord. He said, no, now is the very time to turn to the Lord. And he tells them two things. Number one, because the Lord will not abandon you. He won't forsake you. I know it feels that way when you've been caught in your sin. But he says, no, the Lord will not abandon you. He won't forsake you. So turn toward him, not away. Turn toward him. And then he says this amazing thing. He says, for the Lord has been pleased, he's delighted to make you a people for himself. Again, do you hear the grace in that? What he's saying is, God knew you. He knew you were going to blow it, Israel. He knew you were going to fail. And yet God was delighted to choose you. He knew everything about you, all your weaknesses, all your struggles, and he chose you to be one of his people. A godly leader will extend that kind of grace to people who are admitting their struggle and their failure and help them see that God loves them and that's the time to turn to him. God won't abandon you. In fact, he delights in you and he chose you just as you are. Not scolding or punishing, but stating grace directly to them. Well, two more tasks here. We see it, verse 23. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. But I will instruct you in the good and right way. The task of praying. A godly leader will pray. I don't know who you have leadership over or who you're concerned for, but the best thing, the greatest thing you can do is pray for them. Prayer is an amazing thing because partly what it does for a leader is it is a reminder to that leader that I'm not the one who can help this person become what they need to be. God is. I'm just an instrument of His. So it lays this person whoever we're over, whoever we have leadership for in God's hands. It's an extremely humble position to be, to commit to prayer. And it's one of the most important attributes of a godly leader. It knows prayer says that nothing good can happen unless God intervenes. And it releases God's power in people's lives. It's a mystery to me how that happens, but... Scripture makes that clear that when we pray, it releases God's power in people's lives. And so a godly leader will pray for those he or she leads. And then finally, Samuel says in that verse that I will instruct you in the good and right way. 
The word for instruct there is taken directly from the same root as the word Torah, which is the law, the first five chapters of the Bible, the, what God has given, his communication to the people of Israel. What Samuel is saying is, I will teach you what God says. I will keep pointing you to God's word over and over again. And that's what a godly leader does. Keeps pointing people to God's word, to his truth. Doesn't just share his, his or her opinion, this is what I think, etc., etc., but will continually say, well, I don't know, let's see what God says about that. Let's see what his word says, and are willing to explore it together. Godly leader will submit to the word himself or herself and then teach it. One of my favorite passages for me, a personal verse for me, is Ezra 7.10, where Ezra devoted himself to the study of God's word, to practice it, and then to teach it in all Israel. You may not be teaching up front like this, but every leader can one-on-one say, hey, let's look at what God says together. This, let's remind each other of the truth. Instructing. Well, and then Samuel ends this whole section with reminding him, them of the same thing. Only fear the Lord, serve Him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things the Lord has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. He again exhorts them. He reminds them. He encourages them. He teaches them right there as a summary at the end. There's a lot of books on leadership out there. You can read all kinds of things. A lot of them have a lot of exhortations. If you're going to be a good leader, you've got to cast vision. You've got to be dynamic. You have to somehow motivate people develop other leaders, etc. And I'm not saying those are bad things necessarily, but they kind of make it all depend on you. And one of the things that strikes me about Samuel's leadership is he constantly points people to the Lord. That's who you look to. Let me help you. Let me walk with you as you learn to trust Him and walk with Him more and more. You see, God's leadership principles are best because they focus us on him. Samuel is a good leader, but he failed in different ways. But of course, the best leader was one that came a thousand years later, Jesus. That's who we celebrate during this Christmas season. And think about how Jesus came as a leader to be Lord. He came as a baby to show that he would be a servant leader, a humble leader who would give his life away for our sakes. And what a beautiful model, what a beautiful picture for us of what godly leadership is all about. You want to know how to be a godly leader? Look at Samuel. He's a good example. But most of all, look at Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, what a beautiful picture for us of what kind of leader you are. Humble, vulnerable, who came and walked among us so we could know you and trust you because you experienced everything we experience. And as we look to you, may we have influence in other people's lives. May we be the kind of leaders that reflect you to a world that is so desperately looking for godly leadership, even though they don't know it.
In Jesus' name, amen.